It's hard to comprehend that a single life that was lived over 2,000 years ago and for only 30-some years would impact the world in the way the life of Jesus did. We're 2,000 years removed from his time, and we're still talking about him. And we live our lives to pattern our lives after him. No one on the face and the history of this world has had the impact that Jesus of Nazareth has had. And that stands as a testimony to who he claimed to be. He wasn't just a man. There was no other man like him. He was God. He was the creator of this universe. He was the one who made us. And he took upon himself flesh and came and lived and brushed shoulders with us for a period of time. Jesus, when you see him, you see the Father. Sometimes people want to know what God is like. And, and we have these images of God in our mind because, you know, we can't, we, it's not a concrete thing. It's abstract. What's God look like? If I, if I told you to close your eyes and picture a banana in your mind, we'd all have a pretty close picture because we've seen one of those. If I tell you to close your eyes and picture God, what, what do you convey? What image comes to mind? It would be vastly different from person to person because we don't have God as spirit. But I'll tell you what Jesus did for us. He came and took on flesh and he lived among us that we can see the glory of the Father in him. We see the Father in Jesus. We know what God is like. If you want to know what God likes, doesn't like, thinks, uh, what he appreciates, doesn't appreciate, what he wants, just look to Jesus. Because he was God in the flesh walking around among us for some 30 years. Jesus, not only by his lifestyle, was so different from everybody else that ever lived, but his teachings are so different. There was on one occasion in John chapter 7 when the Pharisees sent some soldiers, some officers, to go take Jesus. They had had enough and they were going to arrest him. And so they send these officers to go to, to take Jesus. And Jesus was teaching. And as they arrived and they heard him teach and they didn't arrest him. And they go back and the Pharisees say, well, where is he? And those soldiers, those guards say, we've never heard a man speak like him before. They didn't take him. They left him there. On another occasion, he was teaching in the synagogue, and the people said he taught as one who had authority, not like the scribes. This man, listen, I, I know a preacher friend who, uh, every time I'm around him, I, I, it's one of those guys I just want to have a notebook with me because everything he says is like, ooh, that's good, and I write stuff down. He's just a, a walking one-liner uh, of good, practical information. And so when I'm around him, I'm always writing things down. Do you know how many statements of Jesus are made that just stand alone? And wow, they're just things we can mull over for hours and hours for a lifetime. Jesus was full of truths and challenges unlike any other man. 
In our Bibles, we have what are called red letter editions. And what someone has sought to do, and I don't know that necessarily everything is perfectly done, but for the most part, what someone has sought to do is to take the words of Jesus and put them all in red. And so we have our red letter editions, and those red letters are the words of Jesus. Those are the very things that he said. And I think that's helpful. It's interesting. It, it draws your attention to certain things. It no more puts, it doesn't put any more weight on those red letter words as opposed to the black ones that Paul wrote. Um, what Paul wrote was of the Spirit, and the Spirit wrote of what Jesus wanted him to complete, that he wasn't able to finish while he was here. So they, they bear equal weight. But what I'd like for us to do for the next few weeks are to look at some of those red-letter words of Jesus and see what we can learn from him. Because there are so many challenging statements. And I'll tell you, we need to be in a way of life or we need to have a way of life where we're living out those red letters Jesus didn't just come. If we're going to claim to be his disciples, we're we're people who say, I want to follow him. I want to be like him. I want to learn after him. I want to see how he does what he does, and I want to do it too. That's what a disciple is. And so as disciples, are we living out the red letters or just passing them by? Do we just take the red letters that we want to follow that are easier, that are more noble and, and just make me feel good? Or will we take all of the things that Jesus said? And so I want us to look at some of those red-letter words from the life of Jesus. And this morning we're going to begin with uh, a statement made in Matthew chapter 5. If you have your Bible, go ahead and open to that passage. Matthew chapter 5, of course, is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. It's the largest or longest uh, sermon that we have recorded that Jesus preached and uh, covers Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And not only is it the longest, but he just has so many challenging things that all get down, well, many of which get down to this. You've got to rise above mediocrity. We've seen how certain people live. If you want to be my follower, you're going to live and rise up above that. I don't want just external actions. I want your heart. I don't want a bare minimum. I, I want you to excel and go to the second mile. And that's what the Sermon on the Mount's all about. Following Jesus in a, in a way of life that exceeds the way the religious folk at the time were willing to live. And that challenge is still for us today. But in turning your Bible to Matthew chapter 5 and read with me as we get to uh, verse 43. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Jesus said that. Love your enemies. You've got to be kidding. Who loves their enemies? We get even with our enemies. We avoid our enemies. We ignore our enemies. We, we rejoice at the downfall of our enemies. And that's the way the world lives. 
But Jesus, again, he comes into this world. He's God in the flesh. And as God sees it, God says, your enemies are people that need your love. And not just, you know, because see, we have levels of commitment to Jesus. Like, um, okay, okay, I, I won't get even. Uh, how's that? Well, that's good. I won't get even with people that hurt me. And, and so I feel noble about it. And, but Jesus says, but that's not enough. Now, I don't want you to get even. Don't return evil for evil. We're taught that. But he goes beyond that. Not only should you not do evil, but I want you to bless them. You kidding me? You want me to bless my enemies? You mean it's not enough for me not to just punch them back? Okay, I won't punch them back, and I'll go ahead and bless them. I want you to do more than that. I want you to pray for them. What? Pray for them? Okay, I won't strike back. I'll bless them. I'll pray for them. Okay? Not enough. Now I want you to do good to them. See, that's what Jesus calls us to. It is so radical. It is so far removed from the way the world lives. Who would think that that's what you're supposed to do with enemies? You don't learn that from other people. But you learn that from God in the flesh. Love your enemies, bless them, pray for them, and do good to them. All right, there's the instruction. There's your red letters. And how do I live that out? That's the hard part. And I want to give you just a few suggestions that will help you to be a disciple of Jesus and live out these red-letter words. How do I love my enemies? Well, number one, we need to have compassion on them. That'll help us. You know, the Bible tells us that, uh, well, Romans chapter 12 and verse 17, render no man evil for evil. He talks about how that... Uh, Instead of, you know, if an enemy hungers, give him food. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. Uh, this, what we need to understand when, when we have an enemy, and I'll tell you what, most of us don't have enemies in the sense of nobody's plotting to shoot you before you get to your car. Nobody's out there right now crawling under your car and putting a bomb underneath it to blow you up because they hate you that much. That's not the kind of, of enemies we face. We, we don't face. But listen, do you have enemies? Do you have? Well, here's the kind of enemies we have. We have people that we would like to see fall flat on their face. We have people that we would like to see get in trouble. We have people who would like to uh, get us in trouble and see us fall flat on our face. People who will manipulate things to make you look bad in the eyes of others. People who will shade truth so that one person looks better and you don't look so good. People that will set you up and watch you fall. And they stand back and watch it and take some kind of sordid pleasure. 
we do have those kind of enemies. And sometimes, let's be honest, we may be that person doing those things to others. So do you have enemies? Yeah, you do. And what we need to do, number one, is have compassion on them. Listen, if I really have someone that's working against me in that way, if they want to see me fall, if they want to see me embarrassed or humiliated, if, if they're going to talk behind my back and, and make people think less of me, listen, that person doesn't need my retaliation. They're not right with God. They need my compassion. Those people don't need another enemy. They don't need to have some act of conflict. They need somebody who says, wow, what a shame. If, if we could respond to people when they try to hurt us, when they try to set us up to fail, if our response to those people could be compassionate, isn't there a level of shame that would cause a person to maybe quit? You know, when I do somebody wrong and they respond back just as hard, then uh, it makes me want to go back at them again. And we get this back and forth. We're lobbing bombs at each other. But what if when someone treats me terribly, I show them compassion? I don't fight back. don't argue with them. I don't say ugly things back to them. And I, I... feel sorry for them. It's hard to keep fighting against the person that's not wishing you evil. It's hard to fight a person that won't lift their fists. And so we need to be compassionate. Matthew 5 and verse 44 tells us that very thing in this passage when Jesus says, I want you to love your enemies. And he tells us how to do it. Bless them, pray for them, do good for them. That'll help us to fulfill the command. Your feelings may not be in it. Feelings need to be the caboose and not the engine that drives your life. If I wait till I feel like mowing the yard, my grass is going to be this high. I do it anyway. And when I get done, I feel better. The feelings follow my action. And if I wait till I feel like doing good things, blessing and praying and doing good for my enemies, if I wait till I feel like doing those things, I'll probably never do them. But I go ahead and do them. And then when you do that and when you rise up to the occasion and walk in the footsteps of Jesus in that fashion, man, it makes you feel good. You resisted the temptation. You've, you've become Christ-like. And that feels good. Be compassionate toward those who would mistreat you. Secondly, how do we love our enemies? Well, I think it would help us if we would separate the sinner from the sin. Well, let me get that. That's third. Let me get this one. I added this this morning. It wasn't on the outline. Pray for them. Um, it's hard to be ugly. Prayer is going to change something in your relationship. If, if you have an enemy, you need to pray for that person because it's going to do one of two things. You're going to have to stop praying or stop being ugly. You can't pray for somebody and say, in Jesus' name, amen, and then go do something ugly to that person. You can't do that. It's inconsistent. And you can't have hard feelings towards somebody while you're saying, Lord, 
help us in this relationship. Be with them. Help them to see or whatever. It's going to change something. We need to pray for those who are our enemies. At the very least, it may, well, number one, it may change their behavior. God in His providence may bring things to bear upon that person's life that changes them and they, they stop being your enemy. But even if that doesn't happen, it's going to change your attitude toward them. So pray for them. Third, we need to separate the sinner from the sin. There's a passage, I have Psalm 27. I meant to write Psalm 25 on your outline, Psalm 25, verse 7. David says to God, and he's, he's broken. And I, I like this statement. He says, remember not the sins of my youth, but remember me. Wait a second, what do you mean by that? Remember not the sins of my youth, remember me. You are who you are. And it's you who did those things in your youth. Well, yeah, but isn't, don't we all do things out of character? Don't we all behave in ways that just not us? We, we lost it for a moment, and it's not the way we live our lives. It's not who we choose to be, but, but in a moment of weakness or stupidity or whatever you want to call it, we make mistakes. David saying, Lord, don't remember me for my mistakes. Remember me for who I really am. Don't measure my life by those moments when I was careless. See me. See my heart. And isn't that what Paul's saying in Romans chapter 7? He said, it's, it's not I that do these things. It's the sin that's in me. Paul says, I want to live a spiritual life. And, and I have this war going on within me. And I don't want to sin. But sometimes I do. We need to understand that when people do us wrong, that may not necessarily be their way of life. Don't measure a person by their flaws. Measure them by the course of their life. If I were to measure a person by their flaws, I might look at Lot and say he's an unrighteous man. He offered his daughters to a mob of men. He committed incest with his daughters. He got drunk. Unrighteous Lot. That's not the way the Bible describes him. In fact, the Bible says righteous Lot. Why? How? Who can do those things and be called a righteous man? Well, you see, those were moments in time in his life, and they didn't reflect the entirety of his life. We need to give each other the benefit of the doubt. Lot was more than just those three actions. He had a lifetime of service to God that we discount. When a person makes a mistake... When you have someone who's doing things wrong, understand this may be out of character. They may not do this all the time. It may have caught them on a bad day. Remember to separate the sinner from the sin. Also, I think it's important to confront your enemy. Not in a confrontational type of way, but in a way that tries to bring about resolution. Prior to moving here, every Thursday uh, for 21 years, I taught a ladies' class in Glasgow. I, I don't know why they had a man teaching a ladies' class, but that's uh, what they did for about 80 years of history there. And uh, they were very proud of that class. And it was just uh, some of the older ladies on Thursday morning, we would all meet together and have class. And so I got to know the ladies very well. And... Uh, 
there came a time when two or three of the women came to me and said, listen, I, I hate to tell you this, but sister so-and-so, she gets on the phone and she has been, she has been riding you. She has been saying all kind of nasty things about you. And, and we don't know what to say about it and how to do it. And we've tried to, you know, change the subject. But she is just ripping you on the phone. And so I, after I'd heard two or three ladies say that to me, I said, I, I need to go find out what's going on. So I went one afternoon to this lady's house. I knocked on the door. She saw who I was. She, oh, come in. It's great to have you. And she talked so nice to me. And she, while we sat down, she said, you want some tea? You want some? And we had, a, well, I kept waiting for her to, to say what was on her mind. And, and so I just sat there for 45 minutes probably waiting for her to get to it. She never did. You would have thought I was her son, the way we talked. So finally, I just said, well, listen, let, let me tell you why I'm here. I was hoping you'd bring it up, but since you did, and I'm going to bring it up. Some of the ladies in ladies' class told me that you've been saying this, this, and this. And I said, I just want to get that behind us and, and clear the air, and let's move beyond that. She said, you're a long-legged hypocrite, and told me to leave the house. You know, she was, that, that didn't satisfy her. Uh, sometimes when you talk to people about things, they'll just, they'll hate you even more. Sometimes they'll respond. You remember the proverb writer said, um, uh, well, you remember what he said, don't you? (laughs) He said that a soft answer, uh, Proverbs 15 and verse 1, a soft answer turns away wrath. We need to remember that. Listen, if somebody is doing something that is trying to get the best of you and they're working against you, go to them. Go to them in a kind way and say, let's, let's get this. A lot of times you might find out there's no intent behind the action that you find so offensive. Sometimes you'll realize that they don't even realize that what they've been doing has been offensive to you and you get that matter resolved and you gain a friend rather than having an enemy in your own mind. We need to go to those who offend us. And isn't, again, that biblical Jesus, Matthew chapter 18, or chapter 15, or chapter 18, verse 15 through 17. And then also this, if we're going to love our enemies, this will help. Recall times when you needed help and patience and love of others. You see, we too have been offenders. While I have somebody maybe in my life and I'm saying, man, they just, they're wearing me out and, and, and uh, they're not treating me very, before I just like wail on them, maybe it would be helpful for me to remember that sometimes I'm the aggressor. Sometimes I'm the one who's picking at somebody else. And from their standpoint, I'm the one who's their enemy and Maybe if we just put a little perspective on it, we wouldn't be so harsh. When I have been wrong and need to be corrected, I sure do appreciate it when a person does it kind in a kind way and, and they give me the benefit of the doubt and we get things fixed. I sure do appreciate that. So if I like it that way, going back to some of those red letters, 
do unto others as you would have them do unto you, paraphrased, should we not also give others the benefit of the doubt, realizing that, listen, I've been there. I know what it's like to be in the wrong. I want grace when I'm in the wrong. I need to extend grace to them. And then finally, I think that uh, we need to uh, view it through the eyes of faith. Um, What I mean by that is that when I see myself afflicted, persecuted, somebody's against me, trying to undermine everything about me, instead of just getting caught up in a reaction, if I can just remember, ah, this is one of those opportunities to let Jesus live in me. And not only can I be a testimony to that person who is afflicting me, but those who are watching. You see, I know people that give up on the church because there's too many foibles, there's too many people that flaws, and, and too many people that are living inconsistent lives, and so they give up on the church. Don't give up on the church because of the flaws of the people. That gives you opportunity to minister. That gives you opportunities to, to be Jesus to people who need to see Jesus. Those imperfections you see in other people are opportunities for you to serve and to be Christ-like and to lead by example and let them see you. That's not opportunity to quit. And when somebody sins against me and I have an enemy, rather than fighting back, view it as an I've got an opportunity. I have an enemy. Good. Now I get to put into practice what Jesus has been saying. I'm going to bless I'm going to pray for, I'm going to do good for that person. I get to put in practice what Jesus has been teaching me. Have you ever sat on the bench, not gotten to play? You go through practice after practice after practice, game time comes, you never get in the game. That's not fun. But if you get to play, if you finally get to put into practice what what you've been practicing, then... That's where it gets good, and that's where it is. And, you know, who doesn't want the ball? You know, if you were into basketball, that was your thing, and you live for it. Who doesn't want the ball in the last second, and you're down by one, and you want to take that shot? You want to be the one that can stand up and put into practice all the hard work and and practice that you've done and, and make the winning shot. It's one thing to sit in this building and practice at being Christians and we talk about it and we have game plans and and we, when are we going to put it into practice? Enemies are a way, are an opportunity to put into practice the teachings that we've heard from Jesus. When somebody hates you, when they persecute you, when they hope for your fall, That's an opportunity to let Jesus live in you and through you. React as he reacted. And not only will that hopefully affect the person who's your enemy, but it will affect those who see it, know what's going on, and see the godly way, the Christ-like way that you respond. In closing, let me just remind you this. We have a call in Jesus said, love your enemies. 
He's speaking to us, his disciples. Love your enemies. We need to do that. And what will help us maybe to do that is to remember that we ourselves at one time were enemies of God. And what did he do? While we were yet enemies, while we were sinners, while we were without strength, Christ died for us. Love your enemies. Put into practice those red letters. And maybe some of the suggestions that we've offered today will help us to deal with what I believe to be, well, it's just easy to say I'm a disciple of Jesus, but there are certain things I'm not going to do real well at, and loving my enemies one of them, but I'm going to try to do good at some other things. Don't ignore the red letters. Love your enemies. Let's have the Spirit of Christ. If you're here this morning, you're not yet a child of God, why don't you obey the gospel? If you're not yet a child of God, you stand as an enemy to God. God sent His Son. His Son was put to death and shed His blood. And if you respond or don't respond to that, you are an enemy of God. You can't insult the Spirit of God's grace with that kind of rejection and think you're going to be okay. Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. If you haven't done that, do that this morning. If you're a child of God already, but you haven't been serious about those red letters, the discipleship that Christ calls us to, maybe there's some things that you need to make right. Maybe there are some things that people know about that you haven't been living like Jesus. Maybe you have some enemies and haven't been acting as Christ would act. and You want people to know, I'm sorry, I've changed. I want to do better. I want to be more like Jesus. I want to live out those red letters. Then we'll pray with you if you'll come as we stand together and sing.